I don't know when it was, but some years ago, I was just looking at Scripture, studying something, I guess. I don't remember the occasion, actually. And I came upon something in Scripture that was unexpected. I just didn't, uh, it just kind of surprised me. And I guess I'm a little slower than some people. So that's why I say it surprised me. But that's the thing I want to talk about, what it was that surprised me um, that day. And I've done a little studying on it since. And I just thought, well, it's time to to do that here. I've never done it. If you've been at the Pines, you've heard some of this. And you know the concept that I'm going to talk about. But I want us to start by looking at Acts 2, verses 22 through 24. And it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains, pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You recognize this as the, the, the part of the first gospel sermon that Peter preached, and it happened to be on the day of Pentecost, after the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and they were speaking in various tongues, and then they drew a large audience, and then he starts preaching. Well, this is part of what he said, and all being the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And what happened Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did through him in your midst. He proved by demonstration of miracles, wonders, and signs. I want to talk about those three for just a moment, for just a few minutes, actually, and uh, then we'll carry on for more. The miracles, by definition is worked by the immediate power of God, and they could not be done without God's being involved. It's also mighty power, might, and strength. So childbirth is not a miracle. It happens every day. But this would be something that cannot happen unless God is part of the process. And signs, it's a distinguishing mark whereby something is known or a token of something, or an indication of something, and wonders. It's something that astounds because of transcendent association, causing the beholder to marvel. Now, these are not three different uh, classes of action. These are three terms used to describe the same thing, the same event. Like when a miracle it happens, it points to something. When a miracle doesn't just happen, it when it's performed by the apostles or Jesus, or it it points to something, and it amazes the people that see it. That's what happens. So, I want us to narrow it down and look at it, the miracle part of it, the mighty power part of it, the power. Shows itself in a number of ways in Scripture. God created the heavens and the earth, so we see God's power at creation 
even though as so far as we know, he spoke everything into existence. He didn't make it, put it together by hand. He's it, let there be light, let the, all, all that. He spoke it into God's power at creation is shown. Now, honestly, to God, this is not a miracle. This is just God doing what God can do. To us, it's like, wow. It produces an amazement when we think about it, really think about it. In, my, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 9, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a raging storm, and they're about to sink, and he says, peace, be still. That's just Jesus doing what Jesus can do. It's not a miracle to him, but it is to us. And the, the 12, when they saw, he said, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, we see that Jesus is in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit possesses the power as well. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. And uh, one of the things he says is, there are some standing who will not taste death till they see the kingdom come with power. And I'm sure when he said that, people were thinking, what are you talking about? What, what's going to come with power? What, how does that happen? In Luke chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus had the power in him to heal, and thus the miracles. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gave the apostles in the limited commission power over all demons and diseases. In Acts, we have other people, such as Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, who worked great wonders and signs among the people. So, this is just what happened in Scripture. And, and let me add, when God, when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit does something, it's just what they can do. And like I say, that's not the miracle part. But when men do this, uh, it is not going to happen unless God is a hand in it. And it, with, the, with the Holy Spirit and God the Father and Jesus, that's God's involved. So I want to look at something, a, a man who could do no miracles, but yet we see written about him and the people that, watched him exactly the effect that miracles could have on people. And you probably already guessed, we're talking about Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 verses 9 through 11. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So we know that Simon, it says, was a, a, a practiced sorcerer. He was a ma magician. He, wasn't anything special about what he did. He just deceived the people. But you see the effects of what he wasn't even a miracle, but we, you see the effects of that he had on the people. They were astonished in verse uh, 8 and verse 11. 
They were astonished because of what he'd been doing, and he did it for a long time. And it says, they said, this man is the great power of God. He's, he's, it's pointing to something. He, he's got God's power in him. To whom they all gave heed. I don't know how they gave heed to him. But that's the effect of the, of the miracles that we just talked about. That God would do it. It pointed to something and they were in wonder about what happened. So that's the, the, the perfect situation to find out what miracles effect had on people. But yet Simon couldn't even do miracles. So what was the purpose of miracles then? In John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, well that you know these verses. And truly just Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That many things that were done, we don't have. But many things we do have. And these uh, signs were done to produce faith in Jesus leading to salvation. In Mark chapter 16 and verses 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So we know where we are. <clears throat> and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Jesus is received up into heaven. They begin preaching after the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, actually. And, it, and then they went everywhere preaching the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs that what they did along with the preaching drew attention to the word. When you consider the fact that dead people were raised, that people, people with incurable diseases and in paralysis and things like that were healed. Leprosy, a death sentence, was healed. Eyesight, blindness, was healed. Things that could not happen unless God's hand was involved in it. And this drew attention to the Word. There's something about, else about all this, though. The miracles, here's the definition uh, that we had on the early, one of the early slides. Worked by the immediate power of God as they could not be done without God being involved. The mighty power, the might, and the strength. The Greek word, depending on the lexicon you use, is the word dynamis or dunamis. Dynamis or dunamis. Depends on the lexicon which one they, they put up, is the, uh, apparently it's the same word. There's a definition for miracles that I just didn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you now. And that is its inherent power, power residing in the thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. So it's inherent power. 
That's why I said earlier when God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit did something, it wasn't a miracle. It's just part of them. They could do it because that's them. The men couldn't normally do that. So there's a power that resides in it. Now I want you to look at a verse. This is what amazed me one time. In Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. These two Greek words for miracle are in this verse, dynamis, dunamis. This, this, this Greek word's there. It's there. And I just hadn't noticed it. And all of a sudden, it just kind of slapped me in the face. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And what Greek word do we have translated that means dynamis or, but it sounds like dynamite, by the way, if you'll see that in there. But what, what English word do we have that might give us an indication of what this means? And that word is uh, the inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Is power. That's power. And what is it that has such power that's inherent in it, that power that resides in it by virtue of its nature? It's in that verse, too. And that's the gospel. The gospel is God's, if you will allow me, God's dynamite to save us. So it's used of the divine power considered as acting upon the minds of men. That's the power that's in the gospel that acts upon us to stir us to understand I'm not right with the Lord. That's what the gospel's purpose is. It has mighty work power. Power, a miracle, if you will, to save us. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's miracle to save us. God's mighty power to save us. Miracles then uh, themselves never did have the power God's gospel does. Didn't have it. It did not have it. It's not there. Miracles never saved anyone. Not one time. Never, ever. Didn't do it. Marvelous though they are, wondrous though they are, amazing though they are, they never saved a soul. Not one time. If an apostle heals someone, I need to listen to what he said. If he can raise somebody from the dead, if he speaks, I need to listen. It's the gospel. It drew attention The miracles drew attention to what they said. It wasn't the miracle. It was the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. 
that the gospel is not just a bunch of words. It's not just talk. There's real power to affect change in the destination of my life after this life is over. Can change where I'll be when this life is over. Instead of burning in hell, the gospel can inform me enough to obey so that I can be in heaven. The gospel did not come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in assurance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the world, of the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The message of the cross, to some it's just plain, this, this, just, this is nonsense. This is crazy talk. That's what a lot of people think. I don't know if they'd actually admit that, but that's what they do. Those who are perishing, it's foolishness. It's just not serious talk. But to those of us who are being saved, it's God's power to save us. It's God's power to save those who foolishly reject it. But they've got to change their mind from rejecting to obey. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Those who are wise in this world and, and too smart for their own good this is foolishness to them. The gospel is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 20 through 25. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 20 through 25. I'll give you a moment to turn there. And it says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. They were too busy gaining knowledge and doing the things of the world to know who God is. They couldn't see God, even by creation. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It pleased God that the gospel would save men. Listening to the gospel, seeing scripture for yourself, reading scripture for yourself, understanding it and thinking, that's better than, I'm, I'm not living like that. That's better than I live and changing us. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. The Jews stumbled over that. 
and the Greeks think it's foolishness. You, if you think of Athens in Acts chapter 7, and Paul is there, and he's preaching to them, and these men who seek after some unusual things that they can learn, they thought, oh, this guy's crazy. There are a few, though, that wanted to hear more. But by and large, they just, now, this, this is crazy. Let's read verses chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was highly educated, we know. He says, I didn't, I didn't come with flowery language for you, persuasive words, oratory. I didn't come like that. I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all that was really important to him. All those other things we studied this this, this morning in the Philippians, the, the Hebrew of the Hebrews and all that kind of, he said, that, that's done. I'm, that's meaningless to me. That's fleshly stuff. I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech was not persuasive words of human wisdom, but that you should stand because of the gospel and the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what he wants of us. That's what he wants of me and you. That we would stand before him and we can say, in assurance, having obeyed him, assurance that we serve the living God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow of the, and is, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is living and powerful and active. If you have a Bible and you keep it closed and you never visit it, the word is not going to be active and powerful and living. It's just going to be shut to you. We have to put some effort into this. God's word is powerful, living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing us. How deep? All the way to the soul and spirit and the joints. And, the, it, it, and I've said this, I'll probably say it the same way I've said it, a hundred times before. And when we read scripture, if we're not living right, it ought to make us nervous. It ought to, I ought to be thinking, oh, I'm not living that way. I'm not doing right. I need to change. That's what this, this, what this gospel's for. 
None of us are hidden from him. We're going to give an answer. We're going to stand before the judgment scene in, in, after this world is gone. And we're going to stand there and we're going to, we're going to give an answer. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We're going to be judged by these words. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27, kind of overlooked verses, I think. Now to him who is able to establish you to my, uh, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone, oh, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. God can establish us. He can set us firmly. Fix us, if you will. Fix us in place. And he does it according to the gospel. <clears throat> the preaching of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us all, all about him. The prophetic scriptures forecast, foretold of him being here. Been made known now. But it's been made known so that we can all be obedient to the faith. It's not something to be read and just put down. It's something to be read and obeyed. It's designed that way. Not to ignore, not to neglect, but to obey it. To save us, to save my soul from sin. To save my soul from hell. That's what the purpose of the gospel is. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He has begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection, there's our assurance. The resurrection, if Jesus can be raised, if Jesus is raised, I'll be raised. You and me. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it does not fade away. Sid Latham, oh, he tickled me one time. He says, it's always new. And that's exactly right. We have a, uh, a, a guy comes by every year and, and checks our house for termites. Not in heaven. There won't be any need for him in heaven. Won't be need to replace a uh, molding around the house. It's not going to wear out. Won't be there in heaven. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to be corrupt. It won't be defiled. Not in heaven. But it is here. 
And this place is reserved in heaven for everybody that serves the Lord. Nobody's going to get your place. Don't have to worry about that. It's reserved for me. It's reserved for you. It's reserved for all of us who serve the Lord. And that salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. We, may, we have the promise of it if we serve the Lord. We have promise of salvation. But we won't realize it until after this life is over. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What did he send it for? He sent it to change my life, to change the course, my destiny after this life is over. That's what he sent it for. He saw the problems I was in, the sin in my life and your life and everybody's life. And he had done no wrong, but yet the perfect sacrifice was made for us. One who never sinned died because of me in my sins. So my word shall not go forth from my mouth. Uh, it shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. It will change my life so that I won't live like the world and live like Jesus did, live like the apostles did. It will also accomplish what he set it out to do in that if we don't believe it then it convicts us in James chapter 1 and verse 21 therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul there's that gospel again implanted on the hearts of people the word, the gospel which is able to save your soul the miracle won't save your soul we can read about them and we can understand the one that, that, that gets me the most is when Jesus is on the sea of Galilee in the storm and he just says peace be still and it's like it's quiet the water's not raging anymore the boat's not going to sink anymore and the disciples say, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The magnitude of what we call nature doing what Jesus said, stopping its fuss and its calm. That's, that was written, and he did that. Listen, so what I would know, I need to listen to him. The apostles needed to listen to him. They needed to get the message that they hadn't been getting. Who can this be? They were amazed. They, were, they didn't know what to say. And Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's, 
Peter and James and John are there with him, and he is transfigured before them. He's changed in some way. I don't know exactly what. I know his clothes got white. But he's changed in some way, and Moses and Samuel, or, or Elijah, are there with him. And the apostles, the three of them, see this, and I don't know what to think. And Peter, of course, speaks up and Let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And he's then this, this cloud and this voice says, this is my beloved son. You hear him. Listen to Jesus. God the Father from heaven said that. You pay attention to what he says. Hear him. Heed him. Obey him. 344. We'll sing this song. If you need to respond to the gospel, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, those sins of the past will ever, forever be gone, forgotten. God won't even remember. Or if you've done that in the past and you have sinned or you need the prayers of the saints about some thing, this is the time to come while we stand and while we sing.